What's up, folks? This is the February 13th Investor Weekly Update, where I go over some of the top news articles that I've been seeing. And we are going to end with a little bit of an investor question, a little bit been changing of environment, what deals are coming through the pipeline, pref equity versus equity. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that at the end. But the first article here is coming from John Burns, Real Estate Consulting. They had six takeaways from the multifamily housing conference, apartment conference. First quarter 2022, the market cooled due in large due part to the massive rent growth of 14% year over year. Those designed to relocate and the renewals were less. And oh, by the way, this NHC apartment conference this is actually a legit conference. Not a lot of regular people go to this. And we call these industry conferences. They typically cost maybe a thousand, a couple of thousand dollars, but it's all more for big private equity companies to go to. Very different than your kind of mom and pop real estate investor club and real estate investor conference, which I don't go to anymore because they're all these days, they're all put on by the organizer and just this big fake it till you make it type of show. But these are the real conferences if ever you guys are interested in going to them, but it'd probably be very boring for you to go. So you probably would never go to it in reality. All right, moving on, multi-housing news. Are manufacturer homes a good investment for 2023? Some of the highlights here, prefabricated construction, which includes modular manufactured and mobile homes has for years been used in lower budget housing development. But with rising interest rates, costs, and higher prices, the materials for such as lumber, the process is starting to get more of a toehold in the mainstream apartment market. Bardeen says here, I envision the market to continue to cool down in the first and second quarter, but I think at some point a domino will fall. Investors will begin buying again and compressing cap rates despite the interest rates, which I would probably say this is happening industry-wide, right? Because all the big players, ourselves included, aren't really buying deals because we can't get the good financing terms to be able to cash flow, which is at the, the forefront of the investment in the first place. As far as mobile home parks, they are seen as more of a class C, class D level of tenant. And what I've noticed from being an investor in these types of housing is that it really requires you selling the actual mobile home parks, which yes, it, it is pretty much like a car dealership in a way where apartments are just a little bit more cleaner, they have better property management, and that's why we stick to that sector. Free business online, how to defend against tax jurisdictions, attacks on market value. So what's been happening, taxes have been going way, way up, just along with everything else on the profit and loss statement, which is impacted by inflation, but cities and municipality needs to raise taxes. So they are actually becoming a little bit more Johnny on the spot, increasing the the tax assessed value to get as much revenue from people. But sometimes you can be targeted if it's your rental property, or at least for us, we always try and fight these pricing. And so we have to pay less taxes. So the market value is the price that willing, knowledgeable buyers and sellers in an arm's length transaction would agree the property is worth. The tribunal rejected the tax jurisdictions built to suit lease rates and sales with built to suit leases in place. Instead, the tribunal used the taxpayer's proposed lease rates for And then finally, the built to suit rents do not reflect market rent except by accident. Alleged comparable sales with built to suite leases are typically not comparable to a subject property that is owner occupied. Uh, how to defend against tax jurisdictions part two. 
even if the subject property is already fully leased with a, a built-to-suit lease, if local law's use of market rent, the actual rent to build-to-suit lease could be given far less or no weight. Finally, increased e-commerce volume and changing consumer habits may render many existing retail stores oversized. Here's the thing. This is why we hire professionals, lawyers, to these tax assess values on our behalf. When I was a landlord, I had my little 11 rental properties. I would try to do this, but it just wasn't worth it because there's a lot of lawyers that... And every time you get a lawyer involved, it's like $500. I guess that's what it was back then, but now they probably want $1,000. And that's probably the differential, even if you're really lucky to lower your taxes, if you were to fight them on these market rates or what the value is, you could do it by yourself, but I don't know if that's a good use of your time. This isn't, a lot of you guys listening are not low net worth investors. A lot of you guys make multiple six figures at your day jobs. Probably would be better to spend your time there or actually invest and spend time with your family, which is why if you guys haven't joined our club yet, Join at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. There you can get access to a lot of our free e-courses, including the Infinite Banking e-course and many more. And I'll sign up for a free intro call with myself where we look at your situation. Wallet Hub replaces the 2023's best state capitals for safety and more. Those ones were Austin, Texas, Raleigh, North Carolina, Madison, Wisconsin, Boise, Idaho, Lincoln, Nebraska. And the bottom five were Augusta, Maine, Trenton, New Jersey, Hartford, Connecticut, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Dover, Delaware. And oh, there it is. Jackson, Mississippi, which is always known for one of the unsafest places. And remember, these are just state capitals. And I think the one interesting thing about investing in state capitals is they're typically not the biggest population hub. It's a hit or miss if they're actually good investment areas. Some people like them because they're a little bit more stable workforce space being in government spending uh, or government workers there, which, you know, can go up and down depending on who's in office. Not necessarily is a good place to invest, just something to keep in mind there. Multi-housing news reports extreme weather's influence on multifamily interest insurance costs. And we've talked about this in detail for those of who've joined the club. We've sold out on a couple apartments in Mississippi because the, in, the insurance like tripled on us. I think last month I gave the example in, for those of you guys that are in the investor club, we signed up at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. You guys get that insider webinar that goes out every quarter. But I think I used the example of insurance, not in the extreme weather areas, but this just place in Texas, right? Not near anything too crazy getting to Louisiana, Mississippi, and Florida, which are really the huge increases. But we're seeing used to be about what $400 per door of normal insurance costs. Now that rule of thumb has gone up to $650 per year per door. So I think that's like a 40% increase. So the predicts the insurance premiums for multifamily sector will spike 20% on average this year, as much as 200% in high hazard zones. So for those of you guys who look at Florida, like, oh, look at the great rent-to-value ratios there. Also, look at the whole picture, right? If you're a landlord, go download our free property analyzer at simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer. And you have to look at all the line items on your property. And insurance is one of those that's super high in Florida. So 
I guess what I'm saying, don't look at it just myopically on this line item, that line item, or some people, a lot of new investors are like, that's a good tax state. That's low taxes. Look at it holistically. There's a case to be made for the link between climate change and weather related catastrophes, but it can be hard sell. It's a complex tax to detangle the natural variations in extreme weather for the effects of climate change. One key point is that insurance rates aren't going up simply because of the increase in natural catastrophes, even though well-documented supply chain issues seem to be the last to be subsiding. They're still wrecking havoc on the cost of construction materials. And I'll also add on to this article, we've talked to our insurance brokers, and what they tell us, at least the ones that have been around for longer, these things typically just tend to search up and search down and maybe decade, year, time horizons. Right now, we're obviously in a high peak right now with like Florida just got hit by a couple of hurricanes last year, a couple of main ones. And that's really pushed insurance costs, which is ultimately why, again, like I mentioned, we sold a couple of apartments in Mississippi because we're just done with that market. Housing Wire reports that January strong jobs report could spell trouble for the housing market. A total non-farm payroll employment rose by half a million jobs from December to January, according to data released Friday by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Unemployment changed from the prior month with 5.7 million people unemployed for an unemployment rate of 3.4. Overall, the unemployment rate has slowed little since early 2020. And this is what concerns me, the Fed's raising rates. And I just really want them to see, I know this is bad to say, but I want them to create more unemployment because right now, unemployment is not ticking up. It shouldn't happen. When you increase interest rates, businesses should freak out and stop hiring people and therefore unemployment should go up. What we don't want to have is a situation where the Fed increases rates, then stops, and then the stock market goes on a bull market and unemployment really wasn't impacted in all of this. And then what happens? The Fed needs to do this cycle of, let's call it chemotherapy for inflation, raise rates again. We want to get out of this kind of cycle we're in right now, because as investors, I'll say it, I'll be, I, I think the reason why you guys listen to this podcast is I'm probably one of the only transparent people out there right now. If you're any type of investment operator, you're getting killed by these interest rates hikes and more importantly, the volatility, not so much the interest rates because you're paying for the rate caps. And at this point, it's really just egregious amounts for those rate caps at this point. We'll go more and more into this, I think, in the podcast form. I don't want to get on my soapbox here because this episode is going over a little bit long. I want to get to the investor question at the end. But capping this one off, we expect another 25 basis point increase in the federal funds target in March, but do not anticipate that unemployment rate, which does not tend to be a lagging indicator, will increase throughout the course of the year. Bloomberg reports the rise of millennial renters I guess I'm a millennial or not millennial renter, but millionaire renters. I guess I'm a millionaire renter. I live here in Hawaii. I don't think it makes sense to to rent. Average home here, I would say is like a million and a half. I'm probably wrong with that, but home that I would probably be living in is about a million and a half or greater. I would probably need a $300,000 payment. It would make so much more money if I took that 300 grand and go put it into real estate deals. Heck, put that in the PEP fund, that 300 grand at 12%, that's... 40 grand a year about paid every month. What they're saying by comparison, according to the reporting at the time, the cost for a condo in downtown New Jersey were higher about three times for the cost of homes 
any outlying neighborhoods as buyers priced out of Manhattan or Brooklyn sought the next best thing, Jersey City. And this is just a chart of your typical high price areas. I'll read off the top six, seven, San Francisco, San Jose, Seattle, Washington, D.C., Boston, New York, San Diego, Los Angeles, Denver, Chicago are in your top. But I think what this is, you know, right now, people can't afford the higher prices. They can't. And it's not really a good time to be buying right now because everybody thinks that the interest rates are going to come back down to earth at that point. Most importantly, or I don't know, most importantly, but very importantly, it's affordability. How much can you afford on your monthly payment? And that interest rate really impacts a lot of the regular consumers and therefore residential houses, which is why you're seeing a lot of people rent. And I think that trend is probably going to continue. Last off here, I had a couple investor questions come in because again, we are staying away from equity deals at this point. I don't know how people are doing these deals. I know why they are just so they can just make money from closing deals maybe take that money and pay for their extravagant lifestyles, which I don't have. And now I'm thankful for not running around like a drunken sailor from some of my first early exits on these deals. But investors are like, all right, so we see what you guys are doing. Before I use this analogy of vanilla deals, where you're still doing value add, but it's more yield type of plays. And then value add deal, heavy value add deals are seen as chocolate deals. You know, we just finished our first one in Huntsville. And those are higher risks, much higher return though. And then these kind of deals in the middle where we call it chocolate swirl and the profile is a little bit more of, you may not cash flow for a couple of years, but it's a little bit more returns and it's a little bit of a mix. Right now, we're not really doing any of the such again, because just the volatility on interest rates and I just can't make the deals really pencil right now. And we're focusing on the PEP fund where we go after stabilized assets and we pick out the portion on the capital stack that is a little bit more safer. And I guess let me, this would be probably a good time to share this, this image here. So the, the preferred equity plus, you know, if you imagine a pyramid of the capital stack, right? It's the bank owns the senior debt on it. They're the biggest part. They get paid first and that's the least risky part of the capital stack. What a lot of investors understand is the common equity portion. This is where the general partners and the passive investors get paid last. So it's paid last and it's the most risky, but that's where the higher returns are. But why is it that the smart, sophisticated, or biggest investors that drop multi-million dollar checks, why is it that they are not wanting to run after the common equity and chase these returns? It's always the guys that are the lower net worth guys trying to get under a million, $2 million net worth, chasing the common equity, especially in this, this circumstance. Now I know very well that this landscape could change. And then I would come out of my cave and chase common equity myself too. But to me at this environment, I would say prioritize pref equity, which is this middle rung of going after the preferred equity portion of the capital stack. You don't make as much as the LPs, GPs do, but you're getting paid first and it's less risky, and which is, I think, appropriate in this situation here. Now, what one person said, I want to get a piece of the upside. And it's like, yeah, maybe in normal times you do, but don't be one of those passive investors that just gets Google-eyed over a in the sky fairy tale, or oh, you're going to make this much money at the end. 
because going into deals this point where we are in the kind of the market cycle may or may not be the smart thing to do. And we all know what performers are. Performers are what you write your butt over. It's kind of like toilet paper. It's not, doesn't mean anything. And that's where I think what you can hang your hat on in tough times is the preferred equity. You could sit on cash, but we all know that's losing in Denver. You're going to lose five to eight, 9% on your money to inflation. You got to do something. But anyway, if you guys are part of the club, we do we do office hours. I think first Saturday of the month, you guys can get access to that to ask those types of questions or any personal questions too, if we don't get too many people on. But uh, that's your weekly update and we'll see you guys next week. Oh, continue to send in your questions. Bye.